It is indeed a blessing to have you listen to our worship services and our power talks here on Anchor FM. This is Pastor Kip Nance with uh, Living Water Worship Center here at 58 Clyde King Drive in Bladenboro, North Carolina. If you're looking for a church that'll love you, a church that'll challenge you on a weekly basis to learn more of the Lord, get closer to the Lord, and a church that's in search of the glory of God to manifest itself again here in the 2020 decade, we want to invite you personally to come and be a part of our assembly. Come worship with us. You can be my special guest. I would sure love to see you. Our service times is on Sunday morning at 1030 and Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Come as you are and be who you are and discover the difference. I'm sure that you'll be ecstatic once you do. God bless you, and we'll be looking forward to see you. Matthew chapter number 25 here tonight. Uh, We're going to be talking tonight about the underworld. So often in uh, spiritual warfare, you hear a lot of people talk about the warfare that you fight out in the air and in the flesh. And we hear a lot about the angels in heaven. We hear a lot about what God has in the courtrooms of heaven. But we miss what is in the underworld. And a good understanding of the underworld is a very good help to you as a Christian. And we want to go that route tonight. Now, last Wednesday night, we studied uh, the first dispensation in the Bible. And remember, the word dispensation means a period of time that God has put a law in place and placed subjects, be it an angel or a man, under probation to see if they would follow the law. And if not, then they would wind up being judged. We declared to you, and we're going to slowly walk through these, there are nine different dispensations within the Bible. Two of them deal with the dispensations of angels. The first one is one that dealt with the angels that God had when he first created the earth, and the last one would deal with the redeemed men and angels. Seven deal in the middle deals with man himself. The Bible declares that we have to be a workman rightly dividing the word of truth, and so much has been caused, uh, so much damage has been caused in the church because people that have not studied, uh, shown themselves approved, hadn't studied and learned how to divide the word of God has applied certain things to the wrong era and the wrong dispensation and caused so much damage within the church. Let me give you an example. Uh, For many years when I was a child in the holiness movement, women couldn't cut their hair. Women couldn't wear makeup. They couldn't wear jeans. The sad fact about that is the dispensation that it was spoken of, it really couldn't have been applied for our culture today. But secondly, the way they applied it was completely different than what it was originally intended. I'll give you a quick example. Men and women back in that day wore robes. So your clothing on the outside looked just like my clothing. The only difference is, is the gaiety of, letter, of colors the women wore and the men wore just plain colors. The difference in the whole outfit was in your underwear. And today, there is still a difference in our underwear. And, and I've said on many occasions, if you're a man that's wearing women's underwear and women wearing men's underwear, then me and you need to talk. But we've uh, we done so much damage to women 
in the church because of some man's opinion and not knowing how to rightfully divide the word of truth to where women were literally scared to come forward and take the positions that they were called to do in the church and be used by God. I'll give you another example. Uh, just one day this week, uh, Pastor in Clarkton had passed away and one of his congregants called me and they have, from the denomination, they have sent a couple of preachers for the last couple, three weeks and the last two weeks, they've sent a woman to preach and the woman that called me has a major problem with a woman preaching. In fact, she said she got up in the middle of the service and walked out and wanted to get my advice. And I told her, I said, it's because people don't understand the Bible. Phoebe was a deacon. She actually was a head of the deacon board in the church of Ephesus. And she was also, uh, there was another lady by the name of Lydia that actually formed the church of Thyatira and was the pastor of that church. And so often we have hurt so many people because we don't understand Scripture. So what we attempt to try to do and what I've always tried to do in my ministry is I've wanted to always rightfully divide the word of truth and apply it the right way, not get too extreme over here, not get uh, too loose over here, be moderate down the middle and go forward. And because of these false doctrines or these mixed up doctrines, let's call it that, People have become so legalistic in the church that we don't understand grace anymore. Amen? We just don't understand it. Either we accept cheap grace or we flap it in the face of God about what true grace is. I'll share with you real quickly. Whatever your conscience tells you and convicts you of, to you that is sin. But just because your conscience checks you of it doesn't mean that Janice is guilty of that if she does it. And we have to deal with that on a conscious basis in some gray areas. Now, doctrine, listen to what I'm saying. Doctrine is doctrine. There is no type of comparison on that. But there's a lot of gray areas in the Bible that don't give us any extreme, straightforward information. And we have to make our best decision in that replacement, in that place. One thing that people, uh, Betty's generation, Susan's generation before mine and then mine, they were always told that a man of God or a woman of God should not be divorced, should never be divorced. But what did they do in the scripture where the, Paul says, if you're seek, loose from a wife, seek not a wife. But if you seek a wife or if you, you have a wife, then you have not sinned. What did they do with that scripture? You see, we've got to be able to rightfully divide this. So last week, we talked about the anti-chaotic age. And I want you to write that down. It's A-N-T-E, not A-N-T-I. A-N-T-E, that means the pre-chaotic age. It's when the church or the, the, the earth was created, and it was created perfect. And we showed you that God created the heavens first, and that he created the earth second. In the first verse of Genesis chapter number one, we get a lot of revelation. Number one, the first revelation is that in the beginning of time, the gods, the word God there is Elohim, which means plural, means more gods. And when you really look at it, three gods, when you go through and study the scripture, you'll find that three gods got together and decided in agreement that they were going to come and create the earth. And we have that talk. We have the Trinity in the first verse in the Bible. And one thing you can always realize and understand that that scripture teaches you is in every beginning, 
whether it be in the beginning of a new relationship, beginning of a church, beginning of a new job, in every beginning, God. God is always in every beginning. And so often in our life, the Bible tells us to turn back to the beginning, go back to our first love, go back. We mess up our issues because we don't keep as we go forward in our beginning. One thing about marriage, and I was counseled with marriage years and years ago, and it says start out like you can hold out. I've heard that before, start out like you can hold out. It becomes hard to do sometimes. But if we always go back to the beginning, then we're, we would always be able to reconcile where we are. So we have the gods, and then we find out when God does something or another, he creates something, he brings it out of nothing. And we studied in the Bible last week that when he creates something, he creates it absolutely perfect. And we also showed you in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, that the reason why God created the earth is he wanted it to be habitable. He wanted it to be full of living beings. And he put living beings in it. So he created everything perfect. He created it full of every living, of living beings, put it into the earth. We also found out that when God creates something, this is very important for you to understand, because when God does something on earth, he does it in the heavenlies first. He's always done in the courts. God creates in the heavens first, and then he brings it down into the earth. We also showed you last week that the earth itself, when it was, when it was originally created, was dry land. It was 100% dry land. There was no seas. In fact, when the earth is renovated by fire and God moves his throne from the country of heaven or the planet of heaven, wherever he is, and comes down and sets his throne up on the earth for eternity, the Bible says in Revelation there will be no more sea, so he's going to bring it back to his original intent. So, because water now is covered about uh, two-thirds of the earth, our minds are always on the earth, the dry land. But when God says dry land, he's talking about the seas. He's talking about the land up under the seas and all that. I know you've heard mythology before. You've heard about mermaids. I'm sure y'all heard about that, haven't you? There is absolutely a spirit of a mermaid. And we're going to study into that. And we're going to find that out because the Bible brings all this out. So we found out in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. They got together, all three of them, created the heavens, everything that was in it, and the earth. The earth was dry land. And then we found out in verse number two, it said, and the earth was, or in that, that original language the earth became the earth became empty waste and we studied on that and what happened with that and that is that lucifer the king of the angels at that time or the ruler of the angels went out and told a bunch of lies on god to his subjects here on the earth and every one of his subjects here on the earth rebelled against god and they ascended to heaven to overtake his throne and throw him out of heaven and, and jesus said that he beheld Satan as he was thrown from heaven like a flash of lightning. And we also talked a little bit about um, where demons come from. We're going to really study demonology. It's probably starting next week. But this week we need to get an understanding of the underworld and what happened at that point. And we will show you that tonight, but I want to give you this and put it in your notes. Hell did not exist. It did not exist at the overthrow of the earth or the flood of Genesis chapter number one, verse two. It did not exist. 
We're going to find that here tonight. And God created hell for the devil and his angels. And then we're going to go in tonight and we're going to study what is hell. What is contained in hell. What is in hell. There are different things about hell, different words that you need to know on this. So let's read just a little bit tonight. Matthew chapter 25. And I guess the best thing to do, I wrote down verse 41, but I'm going to move back. And let, let's just uh, pick up verse 31. We'll read very quickly. And it says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Everybody say foundation. Now write this down in your notes. The word is catabole. It's K-A-T-E-B-O-L-E. That is a um, Greek word that means overthrow. Overthrow. So God is saying the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God was prepared for you when Lucifer was overthrown or, or Lucifer, God overthrew the earth. I'm sorry, that's the way to put it. So God has had you in mind for many, 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 many years. Amen. Y'all with me tonight, Amen. Now it goes verse 35, it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me, and I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when, uh, when saw we thee in hunger, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, or clothed thee? Or when shall, saw we the sick or in a prison and came unto thee? And the king answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. Circle that word, everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. So where is everlasting fire? Everlasting fire is in hell. Also underlining that scripture, it was prepared for the devil and his angels. And it, there was no hell until there was a devil. As long as Lucifer ruled this earth, there was no hell. It was prepared at that point in time. So he says it was prepared for the devil and his angel. It says, for I was in hunger and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in and naked and you clothed me not sick and in prison and you visited me not. Then shall they answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee as hungered or thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. You might want to circle that or highlight that. But the righteous will go into life eternal. Someone say amen. amen. Ain't you glad? I want... 15 minutes into this, and I've read one scripture. Flip with me to Revelation chapter number 20. Let's show you what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment when God comes down. Revelation chapter number 20. Excuse me just a minute. We're going to be reading there verse number 10 through 15. When you have that, say amen. 
verse 10 says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. You might want to circle that, the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You might want to circle that. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it and whose face of the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open and another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which we were in them and they were judged every man according to his work and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I want to give you, go back and look at there. He says that death and hell gave up what was dead. And then it goes on and says, death and hell was cast into the lake of fire. The word death in he in uh, Greek is thanatos, and it's spelled T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S, thanatos, thanatos. If any of you studied Greek mythology when you were in school, uh, thanatos was the demon or the god of nonviolent death. Thanatos is a devil. Thanatos is a demon. Thanatos is who we call death, but he is the the demon over nonviolent death. He is the one that has death authority today. When someone dies of natural causes or a nonviolent death, he is the one that shows up and comes to get them. Jesus shows up for those that are righteous and takes his power from him, but Thanatos is the, the, the demon power that is death. Now, once you look at the word Hades there, or hell, that is the word Hades. And in Greek mythology, it meant he was the ruler of the underworld. His name in Greek is Abaddon. Abaddon. He is the devil that is over the underworld. Hades is the underworld, the entire underworld. We're going to get into that a little bit tonight. How many's learned something already? Amen. Okay. In your notes, write down that there are eight different words in the Bible for the word hell, and it's translated hell. And you have to look at which word is being written out and which part of hell that the writer or the author is talking about. The first one that we hear of in there, and we call it hell, this is, and we're going to explain this a little bit later on. But it is Sheol, and it is spelled S-H-E-O-L. It simply means the unseen world. But we're going to find out that it is actually a compartment of the unseen world. Sheol. Sheol. The second one is Quaber, and it is Q-E-B-E-R. That is a word that we get in the Hebrew for the grave. The grave. The grave is part of the underworld. The grave can be translated in the Bible, hell. Grave is a part of hell. Doesn't mean that you go to hell. It's just a part of the unseen world. The third one is Hades. 
That is the Greek word that is equivalent with the word Sheol, which is Hebrew. So when it says Hades, it's talking about the same place of Sheol. Everybody know how to spell Hades. It's H-A-D-E-S. I gave you the word quaver, which means uh, grave. I want you to come down and write number four, and this is a Greek word for the word grave, and it's nemenion, and it is M-N-E-M-E-I-O-N. It's important you know all this. This, when that word is mentioned in the New Testament, is translated grave, and at other times it's translated hell. So when they're talking about hell, it can be that they're talking about the grave. The fifth word is the word Gehenna. It is spelled G-E-H-E-N-N-A. That in the times of the apostles, the time of Jesus was a valley on the outside of Jerusalem that they carried all the rubbish and all the trash and all the things that needed to be burned in uh, the, the nation, and they burned it. And they had a perpetual fire that was burning there forever. And they took that word, Guiana, and likened it unto a fire, a place in the underworld where there is a fire that burns all the time, Guiana. The sixth part of hell is Tartarus. And it is T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. That is the deepest compartment or the deepest level of Sheol and Hades. Sheol, the grave, the unseen world is the deepest part of that compartment. And then there is a great gulf between those two compartments. Tartarus, the deepest abyss of Sheol Hades. It is when in, in Revelation you will hear the word that they were thrown into the bottomless pit. Uh, that is the abyss that we're talking about at that point. The eighth word, uh, I'm sorry, the seventh one, is a phrase, and it is the lake of fire or the everlasting fire. And to spell it in Greek is L I M N E N. Second word is T O U, and the third word is P A R O S. It is everlasting fire, the lake of fire. Am I going too fast for everybody? Slow down just a bit. So we'll review real quick. Number one, you have Sheol. You have that being the unseen world. We have Quaber, which is the grave. We also have Hades which is the equivalent with Sheol. We have Nimnion, which is the grave in uh, Greek. We have Guiana, which is the valley of a perpetual fire. Tartarus, which is the deepest of the of Sheol. And then we have Lemnin to Piros, which is the lake of fire. And the eighth compartment, we've all heard it called, and we've read about it and talked about it, and it's Paradise. In Hebrew, it is the word Eden, E-D-E-N. Paradise in Greek is paradios, and it is P-A-R-D-E-I-S-O-S. It's very important for you to understand. Now, I want to go back. This is the unseen world. Every man alive, every woman alive, 
unless Jesus comes and gets you before, you will go to the grave. You will go to Quebec. You will go to the place that every person goes. Your body will go there. Paradise, however, as today goes, is a compartment in the underworld, under the earth, that is entirely empty. We're going to find out that it became empty. It was, there's something happened that caused it to become empty. To a certain time, every righteous person that died up to a certain time went to paradise under the earth. Now it is empty. In fact, it has been reassigned, or so to speak, the people that, that die now do not go in the underworld that are righteous. They go to heaven to a place that Jesus has prepared for us. And that's where we need to really get happy about that. Then you have Sheol, Hades, you have Yana, Tartarus, the lake of fire. I want to talk to you a little bit about paradise. The word that I gave you for paradise in, in Greek, paradisos, is a pleasure ground. It's a park, it's a forest, it's an orchard, it's a garden of Eden. It is God's garden in heaven. You will hear it in, in the Bible as you read it, described as that. I've heard several prophets talk about that they have uh, had glimpses and views of the garden of God. In fact, when Paul went to the third heaven, that's where he went. He went to the garden of God. David, as I preached Sunday morning, he had the curtains of heaven opened up and he saw the worship of God that was going on in the throne room of God. And when we hear what Paul saw, Paul said he went up to heaven. He actually went to the garden of God. He went to paradise. And he said he saw things that he couldn't explain. There was things that it wasn't even lawful for anybody to talk about. But turn with me to Luke chapter number 16. We're going to talk about that just a little bit. And it's a very popular uh, parable that Jesus talked about. And I know you've heard it all your life. But we're going to pick up at verse number 22. It's talking about Lazarus the beggar. And the Bible says in Luke 16, 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. So when a righteous man died, even while Jesus was on the face of the earth, if he died, the angels come and got him, his spirit, his soul, and carried him underground to a place, a beautiful garden in the underworld that was a paradise. And the beggar died, and the angels came and got him. But look what it said happened to the rich man. It said, and the rich man died, and he was buried. That word buried shares with you he went to the grave. And in verse number 30, 23, it said, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So Lazarus was standing right beside Abraham. So Abraham had died many thousands of years before this happen and now Lazarus is being received underground in the park in the garden of paradise that's underground and it can be seen from the compartment that he went to where where he went to that word Sheol there or hell there is the word Sheol which is a place of torments and the word torments means everlasting fire and it goes even deeper than that I preached this before and it scared the life out of people 
there are certain angels that are assigned there. There are uh, demons that are assigned there. We'll get into that in a little bit. But you see, in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he can dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and like rise or Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art poor tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He is teaching that underground, they all knew there was the grave. Underground there was a paradise and underground there was a place of torment that had an everlasting flame that was burning at all times. Now, go to Hebrews chapter number 2. Is that interesting to anybody tonight? Amen. Uh, Y'all might have quiet. I said, is that interesting? Amen. Okay. Has anybody heard all of that yet before? Hebrews chapter number 2, I want to read verse 14 and 15. What I want to show you is what took place up until a certain point of time and things changed in paradise. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 14 and 15. I hope you have that. Say amen if you do. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also... Himself likewise took part of the same, and through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were at all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see there in Hebrews, they're teaching that Jesus went and delivered all of these people that were in paradise and they were subject to bondage. Abraham, right all the way back to Adam, anyone that passed away righteous went down and they were in bondage because they were held in that one little spot. But Jesus at some point went down and got them and delivered them. And today paradise is empty. I want you to flip back to Matthew chapter 27. I told you to stick your finger there. So you wouldn't be flipping too much. But Matthew chapter 27, we want to talk about that just a little bit more in depth. The power's flipping. Hmm. Matthew 27, we're going to read verse 51 through 30, 53. And when you have that, say amen. Jesus died. And when Jesus died, there's a lot of stuff that went happen. Let's read verse 50. It said, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top of the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. So everybody that was in the place of paradise, when Jesus died, the minute that he died, the graves began to open up and when the veil was ripped in the temple and they began to go into the city of Jerusalem and they began to appear to people. How would you have liked to bury grandma yesterday and the very next day walk up and open the door and there she stood at the door? That did happen for a little bit. At this point at Jesus' death, it emptied everything. Flip with me to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to read a verse there in verse number 40. 
as it's talking about paradise too as well. I love the Bible, by the way. I can sit in here and I can study it. I, I see things that nobody else sees. And as I studied, I began to see some things. Verse number 40 says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Everybody say the heart of the earth. Now, Jesus went to every compartment in hell to minister. He went into the grave at the tomb. He went down into paradise. He left from there. He went to Sheol. From Sheol, he went to Tartarus. And from there, he went to Guiana. And he also went to the lake of the fire. He went down to the heart of the earth. He went all the way down to hell and came back and took the key of death and hell and the grave from the devil. Somebody needs to shout amen tonight. We need to understand this. If we don't understand this, then we'll give the devil more power than he really has in your life. If you don't understand this, you allow a spirit of fear to grab a hold of you and be scared of someone showing out in a demonic rage. If you, if you don't understand that Jesus went down there and, and, and literally destroyed what his kingdom was, then you'll never be able to lay your hands upon the demonic and then be cast out in Jesus' name. So there is no need to be upset and scared of the enemy. Now, he's powerful. You've got to give respect to the position. He's powerful. But greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. He's the one that went down there and basically told the enemy, you're going to put the keys in my hand. And you remember I was teaching you guys back uh, a couple months ago that Jesus had the key of death, hell, and the grave. There's a reason why he's telling you I got the key of death, hell, and the grave because you got the authority now is the key for Jesus to go. And if you're dealing with a generational devil in your family, you can ask Jesus to use the key of David that shuts up a door that no man can open. The door he's talking about is the door to hell, by the way. You got that? Shuts up the door that nobody can open. And you can ask the devil, ask God to take the devil, take the, the demon that is in your family and take him there and put him and bind him and pass judgment on him and put him in the place which is a dry place down in hell. So that's powerful to think about, isn't it? Amen? Go with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. Let me show you what Jesus did when he went down into paradise. I used to read this scripture years and years ago, and I said, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? I heard preachers preach on it. They couldn't really explain it. I never got the satisfaction with it. One day I sat down and said, okay, Lord, you got to show me what you're talking about. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. It says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, talking about Jesus, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And it goes on, it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teaching. Then it goes on and explains to you what those offices are. And I've heard preachers say, you know, he went down and, 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 and uh, resurrected, brought people out of that there, but they never really did break it out where you fully understood what Jesus did. Jesus went down in the grave. He went down into paradise. He went down into Sheol, he went down into Taurus, he went down to the lake of fire, Gianna, and he went down to the bottomless pit or the abyss where angels that had already rebelled and he ministered to them while they were down there and overtook the kingdom 
that the devil had set up. So the devil is not really a god. He's, he's not a king. He is masquerading as a king. He has absolutely no power. Say that with me. He has absolutely no power. None. Zero. Zilch. The only power that he has is if you give it to him. Amen. So paradise, up until the day that Jesus died, was full of righteous spirits as they went there. And the minute that he died, they come up out of uh, paradise, out of the grave, appear to their family, and then after a while, they were gone. They appeared for about three days, and then they were gone. They ascended. When Jesus ascended up to heaven, they went with him, and he carried them to the place that he is preparing for us to go. Has anybody ever heard that before? Right there in the scripture. Let's also turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 22. I want to talk to you about the torment compartment in hell. There are several different compartments in hell. Sheol, after you go into Hades, which is the grave, or Quiber, which is the grave. The next level down is Sheol. This is where all evil men Go after death. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 22. If you got that, say amen. I'll give you just a quick minute. Verse 22, let's read that. It says, For a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundation of the mountains. The word found mountains in the Bible is always referring to the nations or governments. God said, I put fire in the center of the earth, and I was angry. And the reason why I put it there is I reserved this place as eternal judgment against the devil because he rebelled against me. Now, if you see that there, it is the lowest part of Sheol. It's the lowest part of the underworld next for men to go. It's lower than paradise. There's a couple of others below it, but it's lower than paradise. So you have the grave, you have paradise, and then you have Sheol. The greater number of men that have lived on this earth and died are there today. They are there being in torment, a fire. It is in the center of the earth. Look up on your cell phone, go home tonight, look at your, your, your laptop, type in the center of the earth and what the center of the earth is. Scientists and geologists have already shared with us that there is a, a lava lake in the middle of the earth. There is fire all down up under the earth. There is rivers that goes through, but fire, the deeper you go down. One said that, there, that he has been able to estimate from uh, samples that they have put up, that there are fire, as you go down about 3,000 feet into the ground, that there are fire equal to 30,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 30,000 degrees. I'm sure it's much hotter than that because God was extremely angry. And he said, I set this fire in place because I was angry. And God took out his anger and put that there, and everyone that rejects him will wind up in this place. Thank God we ain't got to go there today. Amen? Amen. Now I want you to look and see who's there. Who is in Sheol? It's not only just every evil man that's ever lived. 
Think about that. If you were to die tonight and you were to go to hell, every evil man that has ever lived on the face of the earth is there. Do you think you're going to be well received? Do you think they're going to give you anything? You think Al Capone is going to still try to kill you? Don't you think that these uh, uh, hateful murderers and seen a lot that watches a, a lot of these murder shows and there's some things you, that people do, you just say, how in the world can people do things like that there? When you realize and understand that if you wind up going to hell, you're going to see these people face to face. You're going to be dealing with them on a daily basis. You're going to have to put up with them. You're going to constantly be in fear. You're going to constantly be in terror. You're going to always be looking over your shoulder. I tell you, that's one reason why you need to get saved. Amen. That's one reason why you need to dedicate 100% to the Lord. So let's go and find out what else is there. Proverbs chapter number 9. We'll study this next week a little bit more in depth because I don't have the time tonight to do it. But Proverbs chapter number 9 shares with us a revelation of who is in Sheol. I need to start marking my Bible a little better so I won't have to do a whole lot of turning here. As time goes on, we'll have them up on the screen for too long. Proverbs chapter number 9, verse number 18. And see, if you read this, you'll miss this. Hear it right quick. And it says, but he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Now, the word there for hell is Sheol. It's in the deepest part of Sheol. So there are different compartments. In that compartment, Sheol is going deeper and deeper down in the earth. There are more levels of torment. Each, where you, each level you go down is more torment, more torment. But it says that the deepest part of this is the dead. Now that word dead should never have been translated dead. It is the word Raphaim. R-A-P-H-A-I-M. It is the word that the Hebrews used for an integrated race. It is when giants were born on this earth. The Bible says that the giants have no resurrection. They are dead. They are the dead. They are Raphaim. They are sent down to the lowest part of hell. So based upon the way you live, you're going to be tormented in hell. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to be tormented on a certain level. And if you are one that's so bad, you wind up being sent down and being tormented all the way down in the lowest part of hell and you are being tormented by, I'm sorry, by fallen angels' offspring that the Bible calls giants, Raphael. Now, they have scientific proof where they have found these giants that are 36 feet tall. Everybody wondered, how in the world is it that the pyramids was built? Very easy. I'm 200 pounds. Any man can pick up three times his weight in his prime. At 200 pounds, I could pick up 600 pounds. I might not be able to carry it far, but I could pick up 600 pounds and move it. You talk a man that is 36 feet tall, that's 9 or 10 foot wide, that has hands that's 6 to 8 feet long, as big as I am. And let's say he weighed 2 ton and he could pick up 
six to, uh, two, three times the amount, and you put a whole race of people there, they could easily build a pyramid. They could easily move a stone. They could easily have like cranes and all this stuff. So we need to understand, he says that the dead go and they are in the deepest part of the earth. Let's go to one more place. Proverbs 21, he talks about them too as well in verse number 16. That's why it's imperative when you go to study your scripture, you begin to look, if you, if you don't know this, the Hebrew, you don't know the Greek, get you a Thompson, I'm sorry, a Strong's Concordance and study them original words because here's why. When the Bible was written in the original language in Hebrew, there was some 32, I'm sorry, 16,000 words. And in the, the Greek, there were some uh, 16,000 some words. But when they began to translate it over to English, there were only 6,000 words. And it's pretty hard to explain 32,000 words in 6,000 words. So you really need to study it that way. So we're in Proverbs chapter 21, verse number 16. Let's read what it says there. It says, The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. A man that wandereth. Oh, my Lord. Now, 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 now listen to this. This is a strong statement. This is written to the church. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. What that is teaching you and what the, 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 the Jews teach you is if you ever have committed to be a Jew and then you turn around and walk away from the Jewish religion and leave the way of understanding, you're going to be the one that is sent all the way to the deepest part of the earth and you're going to be tormented on a daily basis by these great big angels that's called, or all these great big devils that's called giants. Is that interesting to y'all? Amen? Now, let's go and look at Tartarus. This is something that we need to do. I'm going to go to the third level. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19. I love to do Bible study because I can always bring out something that you don't know. Someone told me one time, said, you can make the Bible come alive. I do that there. God's given me the ability to do that. If you'll sit there and listen to me long enough, I can let the Bible can talk to you, and it will talk to you in a very deep level. First Peter chapter 3, verse 19. This is talking about Jesus. Peter's talking about Jesus said, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits, in prison, this is talking about Tartarus, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So he's talking about the giants that were on the face of the earth at that point in time before the flood. That's the reason why God destroyed the earth anyway and flooded it at that point in time because of the giants. So he's saying there, look at that verse one more time. Look at it real good in verse number 19. It says, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, wherein once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So Tartarus is a prison for fallen angels. They're a prison for fallen angels and for giants as well, some giants that was a little bit worse. And these are people that were sin before the flood. 
This area, Tartarus, if you lived up until Genesis chapter number 6 and you died, that's where you went. You went to Tartarus. If you died after Genesis chapter number 6, you went into Sheol. There's a different type of torment. There's a different type of torment from God. It is by degree. If you wasted all of God's grace when he gave everybody the opportunity to come into the ark and get saved and they didn't want to hear it, then your punishment is going to be worse than the ones that come in into dispensation later. That's why it's important to understand the dispensations of the Bible. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. Look at chapter 2 of 2 Peter. Let's go over there. Chapter 2, verse number 4. We'll talk about that just a little bit more. You got that? Say amen. I'll wait just a minute. And the verse says, where, chapter 2, verse number 4. I'm sorry, I look at, look at the wrong chapter. For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to Tartarus, still the word hell, it's Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved, Unto judgment. I told y'all the angels had chains, right? And they could go down to the bottomless pit and open up the bottomless pit. This is going to be some of the demonic spirits that is released during the 1,000 uh, or the, the, the season that the, the devil is launched here on the earth after the 1,000-year millennial of Jesus Christ. But these angels that fail and sin that helped the earth sinned to the point to where they wasted all the grace of God and the earth was destroyed, they go to this area called Tartarus. Now let's look at the bottomless pit. Look at eight, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 31. I'm just going to give you one verse there. I could go a whole lot deeper, but I don't have the time tonight. Luke chapter 8, verse 31. Flip over there quickly if you got it. Are you glad you come to church? Have you learned something tonight? Say amen so they can hear you on the table. I love to teach, by the way. I think y'all can see that. Amen. Luke chapter 8, verse 31. And Luke, the writer, declares this, and he says, And they besought him that he would not be command them to go out into the deep. <laughs> now, let's, read, let's go back just a little bit further. And Jesus said, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered in him, and they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Now, you have heard preachers preach that they commanded that they didn't want to be sent into the water. Uh uh. He's not talking about water there. He's talking about the place called the abyss, the bottomless pit. He said, Well, who, what are, who are you coming here to torment me before the time? I know where I'm going. But don't send me there yet. So he's asking, the, the demon there is asking Jesus, don't send me to the bottomless pit right now. So you got the authority to send the devil to the bottomless pit through Jesus, but you got to have Jesus to use this, the, 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 the key of David, the key of death and hell and the grave. Are y'all following me tonight? Amen. Somebody told me one time, says, brother, you need to write a book so everybody can understand this. So you see there the word deep is the Hebrew word for the abyss, which is Tartarus, the deepest part of hell. 
Now let's finish up tonight. Let's study on Guiana, G-E-H-E-N-N-A. Revelation chapter number 20. Turn with me there very quickly. Then I'm going to ask you if you've got a question or two before we close tonight. Verse number 6, Revelation chapter 20. I'll wait there just a few minutes. When you have that, say amen so I can hear you. Verse number 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, or such the second death have no power. But they shall be priests of God in Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And then it goes on and it says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is also the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now look at verse 11. And I saw a great right throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. Right there it tells you that the, the earth and the heaven flees away, it's been renovated. And he said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, two fallen angels, delivered up the, up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, Guiana. They were cast into the lake of fire. Look at verse chapter 21, verse number 8. Let's just go over there real quick. It says, But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now go over one more chapter. Verse number 15. I want you to see this too as well. It says, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. This is the final hell that we're talking about. This is where Satan, the false prophet, the Antichrist, all of the devils, all the giants, all the fallen angels, every spirit of man that does not live right for the Lord and accept his right, they will wind up in Guiana. So God will come into Tartaros. He will come into Sheol, judge them, and they got a final resting place, which is Guiana. It is a lake of fire. So all unrighteous people, all unrighteous subjects will, after a period of degrees of torment, will be thrown into the lake of fire and equally be tormented. God is a loving God, church, but he is an angry God as well. So, that being said tonight, this has been a study on the unseen world, and understanding the unseen world gives you the power, the understanding and knowledge so that you'll know how to deal in a warfare state so that you'll know who to call on and who you're fighting. We're going to go quite a bit deeper in this as time goes on. But I appreciate all of you coming here tonight. Next week, we're going to study a little bit on the giants and demonology. But I want you to understand that it's important for you to understand the anti-chaotic age. And it's really important 
for you to understand what's going on in the underworlds. That being said, anybody got a question before I close tonight? All of that and nobody's got anything they need clarified. We wound up in Revelation 22.15. 22.15. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we have brought this forward to these folks here tonight. These are the ones you're wanting to hear this. God, tonight you have opened up a different realm and a different level and a different dimension of understanding of your scriptures. God, tonight I ask you, Lord, that you'll write it upon the tablets of their heart. Father, that you'll keep it ever on their finger and ever before their eyes. Father, I pray, Lord God, that this will continually give a revelation unto them. Father, that they'll be able to move further for you and go forward for you and be able to be victorious through the power that Jesus has taken back from the enemy. God, help us as we go forward not to give the devil any power in our life. Father, help us, Lord God, to take the knowledge that we know of today and realize, Lord God, that you are the one that's in control and you have already won the battle. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that we'll be able to usher in the glory of Almighty God. And, Father, that we'll be able to receive from you exactly that as you have laid upon our hearts and we'll go forward with us. Go with us. Lead God and direct us and bring us in love and in unity back together again. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it all as you keep us all safe in the middle of this virus. And, God, you've preached your message through us to this world. Let your, you get all the glory out of everything that is done in the precious holy name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Show somebody as you leave that you love them. If you love them, shake their hand, maybe hug their neck if you feel like it. If not, maybe you want to strangle them a little bit if you don't like them too good. But it, we're just glad to be together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll see y'all Sunday morning. God and until we are at the point to where the tabernacle of David is restored in our life, we're going to have major problems. Amen. So we're going to be talking about the tabernacle of David until God says we have accomplished what he has purchased, purposed in our hearts and accomplished what he has purposed in our assembly. I want everyone here just real loud to say this morning, we need the glory. That's why we sung the song, we need a move. We need a move. We need a move of God to show up in this house. We need a move of God not just to show up in this house, but to show up in our life individually. And we need the move of God to show up in our family. When it shows up in our family, it will disrupt some things. And when it goes into our family, it will begin to put our priorities together and right. Our finances will be touched. Our health will be touched. Our worship will be touched. Our praise will be touched. Our daily activity will be touched. Everything you put your hand on will be blessed when we restore the tabernacle of David. And it is so important that we start on that progress this year and we do it with all our heart and in the right attitude so that we can get accomplish what God is wanting to accomplish. Because in this year, let me share with you now, things are going to get a little worse before it gets better. I want you to hear that. That's the spirit of the Lord speaking. It is going to get a little worse before it gets better. But praise God, it is going to get better. Amen. Amen. Smile at me this morning and say, I know it's going to get better. Second Samuel chapter number six. We're going to read 17 verses there in verse number one. It said again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bali of Judea of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart 
and brought it out of the house of Abinadad that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadad, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on the manner of instruments made of fir wood, even of harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nation's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perazuzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him and to the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with the linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. I want you to notice David was the king. But in this particular issue, he was dressed up like the priest. He was a king, but he was dressed up like the priest. That is very significant, very significant. And we are going to study that a little bit further later on in our scripture. But there is a difference in the tabernacle of David and the priesthood that you find in the tabernacle of David and the priesthood that you find in the tabernacle of Moses. And it goes on, and it said... I believe I stopped it. Where did I stop at? Verse 10. 16. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered more offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Let's read two more verses. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dwelt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine, so that all the people departed, everyone to his house in the Old Testament under the priesthood of Aaron, which was the priesthood of the tabernacle of Moses, when something was offered to God, it was all, if it was left over, it was given to the priest and to the priest only. In this area, you began to see that what's left over, David gave it to all the people. So you're seeing a difference here already, and we're going to go into that this morning. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, enough is enough. Say it again. Say, enough is enough. I want it back. Enough is enough, and I want it back. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that you will touch 
my very lips of clay this morning. Open up our hearts to them and let us be receptive of your power here this morning. Father, open up our ears and our spirit that we will be able to hear what thus saith the Lord here in this hour. God, I pray right now that you will begin to penetrate each and every heart, Father, that they'll be able to find exactly what you're doing in this hour. And Father, that they will begin to respond into your calling to them. Father, I pray today, Lord God, when all is said and done, that you would allow me to expound this out in a way to where everyone can understand it. And I'll give you the glory and the praise for it all in Jesus' holy name. And our church said, Amen. Amen. Then find somebody else and said, I said enough is enough. You know, I do want it back. I want the glory of God back. Amen. Amen. Now, 20 years before this text that I've read to you today, Israel had lost the Ark of the Covenant that you see in your hand there today. They had lost it to the Philistines by making a bad decision. And they had went out without God sanctioning the decision and just carried that Ark of the Covenant in the middle of a battle. And the Philistines beat the daylights out of them and stole and took back the Ark of the Covenant. It was a, a chest that was a wood chest of Achaia wood that was covered with gold, pure gold that was put there. And it had a lid on the top of it. Look at it very quickly. It had a lid on it and it covered that open chest and that lid was called the mercy seat. And it had two images on each side, which was angels that were looking down with their wings spanned out, touching one another at each tip, and they were facing each other. And it was there on that mercy seat in between the two cherubim angels that when Moses went into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, the center of the Ark of the Covenant, that God would speak to him. It was there that the high priest, when he went in, would be able to see that God had accepted the sacrifice for Israel at that point. It was on that mercy seat that God, the Shekinah glory of God would appear. The Shekinah glory of God is the presence of God. It is the power of God. It is the weight of God. And when it shows up, it is in a blue flame. It is always blue. That's why Living Water Worship Center's color is blue. Somebody say amen. That means we're going to get the glory of God back in our church and we're going to have God appear and meet with his people here in the church the very same way that he did in the Old Testament. I wonder how many of you is ready for that today. Amen. Now inside the ark there was a bowl of manna. It was the very same food that rained down from heaven for 40 40 years and fed the Israelites while they were out there and it was put on the inside of the ark and the power of God took that manna and preserved it all these years and wherever it is today it is still there and it is preserved. Also inside of that ark there was the rod of Aaron that was dead that one day to prove that God was God, God allowed it to bud out and what was dead had came back to life and also in that ark was the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments the two stones that Moses wrote the Ten Commandments on, and they were put there in that ark. Now, I want you to look at the first picture I gave you, the biggest one there, with the glory of God coming over. That is the tabernacle of Moses. And the tabernacle of Moses was portable. It could be carried wherever it needed to be carried. In fact, it was always placed in the center of the camp. If you'll look at the way that the t 
tents all around there, you will see that it was built up when they had the tents all the way around it. And this was the heart of the nation of Israel. If you really study how the camps and the, the tents were set up around it and how they were set up, it actually pictures a cross. So wherever the nation of Israel went, when the Ark of the Covenant was set into the holy place and the tabernacle was set up, it was set up with a uh, in a figure of a cross. So wherever they went, wherever battle they went in, wherever they were at, they were at the cross. That signifies to us that wherever we go in our life, we must walk in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. We must submit ourselves daily to the cross of Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me here today? Say amen. amen. Now inside that uh, middle carriage there, that middle building there, there were two different places. There was a, a, if you look at this building right here, this building is set up just like the Ark of the Covenant. It comes in and you have the outside foyer that would be the outer court. When you come in here, this could be the holy of holy, the holy place right here. And then as you come a little bit further, you get into an area called the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was set. It was set behind a veil that was so thick that no light come in there with it. It was set in pure darkness. Nobody could see it. In fact, if anybody entered into it, they had to go into it with incense burning and the smoke so thick that they couldn't see the Ark of the Covenant for if they saw the Ark of the Covenant they immediately died under the tabernacle of Moses but it was there in the center place of that Ark and that center place of that tabernacle that was portable that God would come down and he would talk to Moses face to face he would come down and he would talk to the, Israel, the, the Israelites high priest and he would do so and share with them that they accepted or did not except the offerings and the sacrifices that was given unto them at that point in time. In fact, the presence of God was so strong that when the ark of the when the, the, the high priest went into the ark of the covenant, that he had to go in with bells and pomegranates on the bottom of his linen ephod. And as he walked around, the pomegranates would hit the bell and make it a noise. That's why the Bible says that without the fruit of the Holy Ghost, it turns in to be nothing more than a tinkling symbol. Speaking of those pomegranates, that is the fruit of the Holy Ghost, symbolic of the Holy Ghost, hitting against the very uh, bells that were around her. And God said, without the fruit of the Holy Ghost, all your praise, everything you do, every action that you do in life is nothing more than just the bells tingling against one another. But there was a purpose for those bells and those promegannets to be there because as he walked around, he had a rope tied to his leg. And if he quit moving, they knew that he had died and God had rejected all of the sacrifices they would pull him out and carry him out and, and he would be buried because the glory of God does not play around. Somebody say amen. This tabernacle was portable and it sat there and as long as you look at that picture you see that fire that pillar of fire that is over the top of as long as they could see the pillar of a fire over the top of that tabernacle at that point they were to stay where they were but the minute that fire picked up and began to move then everybody had to jump into action and they jumped into action and began to take down the tabernacle and the, the, the high priest would go in with blankets real thick blankets of animal skins and they 
would walk to the back of the, the Ark of the Covenant and they would lay down that particular blank because of the Ark of the Covenant could not be seen by natural people's eyes. It was a sacred, sacred object. Nobody could see it. And when they carried it around, it had to literally be covered and hid. And on top of that, there were two stays. If you look at the second picture that I gave you of the Ark of the Covenant, there were two stays of wood that run through to some four rings of gold and they were added there so that they could be put on the, the shoulders of the high priest and when they carried them that the Levites, Levites were the only ones that could carry that particular object and that object had to be covered with a blanket of animal skin. Nobody was be able to see it. Nobody else was supposed to come any closer to that Ark of the Covenant. Nobody else was supposed to enter in to that room. In fact, Moses said that Aaron could not come into that room but one time a year and that's in October and he was able to go in there and sacrifice with them. It was always hidden from public view. Even the priest that carried it could not lay their eyes on it. If they got close to it, they immediately died. And every time Israel would march, that Ark of the Covenant was carried before the congregation. Wherever they went, it was carried before the congregation signified that God was leading his nation. God was leading his nation. God was leading his people. God was leading his people. So often here in the church today, many people that are behind the pulpit seek worldwide fame and they, they seek the praise and worship that literally they have thrown away the glory of the God and, and God himself and they're sitting here wanting more praise than what God has got. And God said in the last days I am going to restore back the tabernacle of David and I'm going to come back and revisit my people and I am going to bring one of the greatest revivals that you've ever seen on the face of this earth. Somebody needs to say amen this morning. So in between those two angels, the cherubim, God spoke to Moses. Moses winds up dying. Aaron winds up dying. And as time went on, the high priest, which was Aaron's lineage, began to use this Ark of Covenant the wrong way. In fact, they went out to battle one day and they got whipped pretty bad and they said, you know what? We carried that Ark of the Covenant around Jericho six days and it led the people around the Jericho for six days and on the seventh day, that Ark of the Covenant went around the city of Jericho seven times and the people shouted with a great shout and the power of God showed up and the walls of Jericho came down. They said, if it brought us victory back then, if we do the same thing here today with the Philistines, then we know that we are a victory but I got news for you God did not chasten that action they picked the Ark of the Covenant up without the glory in it and they went out into the battlefield and when they did all of a sudden the Philistines beat the daylights out of them and they took 30,000 men at that point and killed them. It was so bad. Hopni and Phineas, which was Aaron's grandsons who was taking care of the ark, they were killed in that battle. And Eli, which was Aaron's son, which was the high priest at that point in time, he was told about Hopni and Phineas being killed. He was told about the, the, the Philistines taking the ark of the covenant. He was told that 30,000 people had died and he was the high priest at that time that sanctioned that activity. But God did not sanction that activity and when he was told that there he was a big man and he literally went and fainted and fell off of his throne and when he did he fell down and he broke his neck signifying that without the glory of almighty God you lose your headship y'all with me here this morning 
And immediately the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and they went several places into their nation. And they went and they set it first off in the temple of Dagon, their God. And the next morning when they woke up, they came in there where Dagon was. And Dagon had fell over and it was laying prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. And they sat there and saw that Dagon, their God, was literally in worship before the Ark of the Covenant. So they picked up their God and they put their God back up there. And God said, you didn't hear me. So in the next morning when they got up, they saw that Dagon had fell over again, prostate, laying on the ground. And he was there. And this time when they went to pick him up, his members began to fall off. And they couldn't stand him back up because God had said, I will have no other gods before me. And no other God will get praise when I'm the one that should be praised. Someone say amen. So for seven months, they began to carry that their ark around from one town to the other. And all of a sudden, the, the, God said that every place that they carried him, he released mice out in the field. And they went out and they were just all in the house. How would you feel if you were laying down in your bed and all of a sudden just a great big field of mice showed up in your bed? And all of a sudden, he also said that he hit them with emeralds. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. He hit them with inflamed emeralds and it was terrible. Tumors was there. And finally, the ark of the covenant winds up at Kerjef Jerem and now God begins to see that nobody is missing the Ark of the Covenant. And we read to you and we studied last week that God rejected Saul as king. And when he did, Samuel was crying over it. And God told Samuel, he said, you go because I found a man in the house of Jesse that is after my heart. He said, I prepared a king there for me. And David becomes king after recapturing the, the first move that he had. He recaptured Jerusalem back. And the second thing on his agenda was, I'm going to go get the glory of God back to Jerusalem. And I'm going to put God in this rightful place. I wonder today how many of you am I talking to that has that in your agenda that no matter what nobody says, no matter what nobody does, it is important and highly important in your life to have the glory of God in your life in the proper place and you're willing to do whatever it takes to have God in your life. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Somebody shout amen. 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 So David sets out now as his second act of king of Israel to go and get the Ark of the Covenant. Now God said, I chose David because he was a man after my own heart. And now he begins to reign in Israel. Last week we found out that David had one priority, one priority. And we read it in Psalm chapter 132. He said, I will not have me a house. I will not live in my house. I will not lay in my bed. I will not pertain and get comfortable in my situation until I have prepared a place for the glory of God to be in Israel. And God is looking for that heart today that it says it don't matter what's going on until God is in the proper place. I will not go about to another activity in my life before I move to do anything, before I move to build a house, before I move to go to work, before I move to have a relationship, before I move to spend any money. I'm going to make sure I got the power and the glory of God in my life. And God said he's looking for that today here in Living Water. I wonder how many of you here with me today wants that in your life. Amen. God said, I chose David, who was a man after my heart. And I want to know, it bears the question here this morning for each one of you to realize and to ask yourself the question, why is it that God chose me? 
Why is it that God has you in Living Water Worship Center right now under a preacher that's got a heart to find and get back the glory of God in life? Why is it that you are assigned to this church? Why is it that you're listening to me online and you, I am your pastor? Why is it that God has called you into this place? Is it because you got a great talent? Is it because you have a heart to see the power of God? Is it in your life that you know that you cannot proceed in life without the glory? of God presence in your life I want you to, to literally do a self study of yourself and ask God God why did you choose me and why did you put me here in Living Water Worship Center now David's priority was the presence of God if he had a brand it would be the presence he wanted the presence of God he desired it so much it was his top priority he didn't care if he had a wife he didn't care if he had children he didn't care if he was rich he didn't care if he had enough work to do his top priority in life was to be in the house of God under the presence of almighty God and feel the power of God in life in other words his number one priority was the presence of God here in Living Water Worship Center, our number one priority for 2021 will, to, will be to usher in the power and the presence of God in this house. Is anybody with me this morning? That's our number one priority. That ain't that Kip's going to make it happen. That means all of you has got to work it. Everybody just look at your neighbor and say, he's got to have your help. Now Saul was the king, anointed by God, anointed by Samuel. He was appointed by God as the king. We shared with you last week as we closed that the word Saul means that that you have requested. And God said as we ended up our message last Sunday that he looked at Saul, Samuel, and he said, Why are you mourning still over Saul? That that you have requested when I have rejected it. It will not continually reign over you. So today I'm sitting here in the power of the Holy Holy Ghost and I'm telling the devil right now in the power of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus Christ I don't care what none of us has requested God said for me to tell the devil today it will not reign over you in 2021 God said I found a man after my heart and now I am going to promote that man and I'm going to put him in a situation to where he can do something about the problem somebody say amen, amen. Saul's priority was position. He wanted all the wealth that the king gave him. He wanted all of the honor that the king got. He wanted everything that everybody opportunity gave, gave the honor to in the position. Many folks today in the church are more concerned about a position than they are the presence of God. People today, right now, the Bible says that in the last days we will have a form and a fashion. We will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And there's so many in the church today are so concerned and so drawn by a position, and they're after a position in the church, but there is absolutely no presence in the church. And I refuse to let this testimony of Living Water Worship Center be, well, they really got a good position over there. I want the testimony to be they are hungry for the glory and the power and the presence of almighty God to show up look at somebody and say amen. amen I wonder today if you could just tell the Lord Lord give me your presence I wonder today if you'll just look up to God while I'm talking here today and tell God Lord I gotta have your presence you see your presence leads to promotion look at your neighbor and say presence leads to promotion 
Say it again. Say presence leads to emotion. Promotion. Now, if you really believe How many believe that, by the way? Let me see that. If you really believe that, I'm going to argue with you a little bit because I don't believe you do. Because if you really truly believe that the way you got promoted in life, the way you got promoted in the world, was that you got in the presence of God and you had the presence of God in your life and when you got the presence of God in your life, you would be promoted. Then you would be coming to the church come hell or high water. You would come where the presence of God has promised that it will show up at. You'll quit telling the preacher lies and telling the preacher that, hey, I'm still with you, but you ain't with us. You don't have no desire for no promotion in your life. You ain't hurting the preacher and you ain't hurting the church. You're hurting yourself. Am I preaching this morning? Amen. If you really understood that if when you got in the presence of God, you can be promoted, promoted. if you really believed that that was the way it was, then I would have to keep this church open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, my God. Now, am I arguing pretty good? Amen. Amen. If we really truly believe that God would promote living water, we would get in his presence, then we would come here and we would do what it took to get in the presence of God and God would bless this church and fill up every one of the pews to the point where we have to add on and have to buy more land and build new buildings. We would have to get in the line with God because if we really believe that there, then nothing would keep us from getting in the presence of God. Amen. I'm going to say amen myself on that. If you really believe that, where are you this morning? Amen. Mm. Can I stir it up? I'm going to disrupt some stuff this morning. Is that all right? Is it all right over here? Just shake your head like this. Is it all right? Shake your head like this. If you really truly believe that there, then why is a virus keeping you home? If you really truly believe that there, then why is it something that Thelmore or Betty or Tina said about you is keeping you from getting into the presence of Almighty God? Amen. If you really truly believe that there, why is it that your finances are keeping you from getting in the presence of God? If you really truly believe that God would show up and bless you, the Bible said He showed up in the power of His presence in the house of Obed-Edom and He was blessed in all of His household for three months. If you get in the presence of God, your life will turn around completely in just a few little months. Every problem you've ever had will be handled because the presence of God cannot live and dwell in darkness and have the power of the enemy in your life. God said, if you'll make my presence your priority, he said, then I'll promote you. I'll bring you up over all the obstacles that there is in your life. I want to know tonight, or this morning, how many of you are beginning to realize that you need the presence of the Lord? Amen? Everybody just hold out and say, I need the presence of the Lord. So David set out that he was going to go and he was going to get the Ark of the Covenant back. He was going to get the glory of God back. He was going to get the presence of the Lord back. But he didn't go out without obstacles. You see, there were the Jebusites in Zion. And the Jebusites had got into a stronghold. Let me explain to you what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a geographical location that if someone got in it, they literally had power because they held that territory. And you, it was really hard to get them out of that territory because they could see everything that was going on around them. So the Jebusites had taken over Jerusalem and the first step that the king of Israel had to do is he had to go out and run the Jebusites out of the territory that had come over 
and took the city of peace and took it away from Israel. So not only was the glory of God gone, they had lost their capital city because the Jebusites had come in and they got into the stronghold there and they had a stronghold inside and they had that stronghold in Jerusalem. Some of y'all in your life right now, there is something that is in your territory, in your stronghold area and every time you try to get back what God's got for you, that Jebusite, so to speak, is still sitting there in that stronghold and you get whipped every time because your priorities are not in the right condition. Am I there with anybody this morning? Mm -hmm. There are some things, times and some things in your life, if they get in your life, it's hard to get rid of them. Amen. I know what I'm talking about. I'm dealing with something I've been trying to get rid of for years. It's hard to overcome something that's in a stronghold in your life. When it has taken your territory, it's hard for you to get it back. So this ain't no easy task that God has given us. You've got to literally clear out that stronghold so that you can get the glory of God to come back. If he'd have never cleared out that stronghold and took Jerusalem back from the Jebusites and he'd have showed up with the glory of God, the Jebusites would have took that ark and whipped them just like the Philistines did. So you got to drive out the Jebusites that are hindering you from being the, the child of God that's walking in the glory of God. And you got to want it so bad that you're willing to fight and stand against what has taken over in your stronghold. Look at somebody and say I want the glory this year. So what David did is he took back the territories that the strong man had come in and they had took over. The Jebusites had a stronghold and they said and when after he took over their strongholds he looked at 30,000 men and he said alright guys it's time to go get the glory. Look at your neighbor and say it's time to go get the glory. I've been laboring in this church a long time. I've been praying for some of y'all nuts many, many years. I've been fasting for y'all several many years. I've been fighting the devil for you for many, many years. And now God said in 2021, Chip, it's time for Living Water Worship Center to go and get the glory. The stronghold is over with. God spoke to that lady sitting right there out there in the car and said all that mess that happened many years ago out there and gave this your place some sarcastic and some stigmatization. He said, that's over with. It ain't raining over you anymore. I found somebody after my heart and now it ain't got no more power I'm coming to bring the revival that I said that I wanted to do when living water was created are y'all with me this morning say amen David knew if he got into the presence of God he knew that everything was going to be alright in Psalms 16 and 11, he wrote, In the presence, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Let me share with you, if you get in the presence of Almighty God, you're going to have complete peace. How many is ready for some complete peace? You won't bother me like you bother me right now when I get in the presence of the Lord. Nothing don't bother me like it does out there in the world if I get in the presence of the Lord. I literally can handle it a whole lot better. I want you to know we need the presence of God in this church. And we need the presence of God so thick and so powerful that when somebody pulls up here in this church out there on the outside parking lot that the glory of God is firing and pulling and moving in a powerful way enough to where everything they got wrong in their life, they get the power of God to walk and leave from here in complete peace. Look at someone say, you ain't going to leave like you came. Mm -hmm. Amen. You're hearing me. Now Now you're starting to see what your preacher's been talking about for years. Amen. Amen. You getting the revelation now? Amen. Amen. Okay, now there you are. Lord, thank you. I was able to bring that out exactly the way you wanted me to. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I got to have the presence. 
But something had happened. Israel had lost the presence of God. They lost it. They had become separated from God. For 20 years, they were walking around, baby, with a cool attitude about God. Nothing outstanding was happening. Nothing crazy was happening. Everything looked pretty good. So it was cool. No, I'm cool. I'm good. You need to get your No, I'm good. I got a good job. I got plenty of money in my bank account. Everything's good. They had a cool attitude about God. Let me share with you, when you have a cool attitude about God, there are going to be casualties in your life. I told Lib and Tom as I was sitting over in their house the same way that I told Brother John last year. I said, when God speaks, the Bible says he speaks in two to three witnesses. And if something happens, bang, 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 one right behind the other, God is talking to somebody and somebody needs to open up their ears and hear him. You need to understand that Israel had lost the presence of God. They were separated from God. And they literally had that cool attitude. But casualties was on the way. When you lose the glory of God, you lose your advantage. When you lose the glory of God, you lose your strength. When you lose the glory of God, you lose your weapon. Everything you need in life to get ahead is found in the presence of the Lord. How many believe that this morning? Say amen. Then I'm going to argue with you a little bit. Where in the world have you been? Where are you? If you really truly believe that, that everything you need is found in the presence of the Lord, then why is it that you're running out yonder in the world trying to find what you need? If you know that the power is found in God to get you over that habit, to get you over that addiction, to get you over that marriage problem, to get you over that financial problem, then why is it that you're still running and trying to live life in a cool attitude and say everything's all right? Let me share with you, the longer you live in that cool attitude, the more casualties you're going to have in your life. You can lose the presence of God and not even know you've lost it. Samson, after his hair was cut, woke up and the Philistines was out there and he said, all I got to do is go out and shake myself and I'll do exactly what I've done before. But he went out there and he shook himself and the Philistines took him and gouged his eyes out, took his vision away from him. You better realize that you can lose the vision, the power, and the presence of God in your life and the glory of God and not even know it. And I tell you what, when you lose that there, you might have the talent to do what you used to do, but it will not have the effect that it had before. Everybody just say, I need the presence of the Lord. Now what happened is, is there were several judges that came into the office there. There was a prophet by the name of Samuel that came into his office. There was a king by the name of Saul. Worship still went on in the church. Sacrifices were still being offered at the tabernacle of Moses. They sacrificed in front of a veil that had no power behind it. It was empty. There was nothing there. You can make a lot of noise and you can literally get up and you can raise your voice and you can clap and you do it, but you can make a whole lot of noise and not have a bit of power in your life someone say amen. amen you see they were comfortable in living in the problem they were more comfortable in doing what it took to live in the problem than to take the challenge that it's going to take and the strength and the power that it was going to take to fix the problem and the church today has lived for many, many years here on this earth and they are more comfortable to still worship God in the problem instead of taking the necessary action to fix the problem. The Philistines took the ark. 
took them away from them. And the Bible says that God smote them with emeralds. Those of you who don't know what emeralds is, that's hemorrhoids. If you've ever had hemorrhoids, boy, I'll tell you what, when they're bad, they're bad. Not only do you have hemorrhoids, he said, I struck them with emeralds. That means inflated, strong, swelling, tumorous hemorrhoids. And in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 9, it said God struck them in their secret parts. I love my God because my God knows how to fight. That's why I ain't got to jump on you and get upset with you and try to get revenge from you because my God knows where to hit you where it hurts at. He gave them a pain in the you-know-what and let them know he was God. Y'all with me this morning, amen? amen? He said, I hit them in the secret place. That's why you ain't got to worry about your enemy because God knows exactly how to hit somebody in the secret place. You can be sitting in here today with red on the bottom of your shoes, your hair all braided out, looking good, wearing the nicest dress. You can be wearing the nicest suit that there is in the world, but you can still be under attack in your secret parts and nobody know it but you. And I want you to know today, when God gives you that pain, it's going to be a pain that is so, so bad in your life that literally you want to get away from it and run from it. I don't know about y'all, but if you've ever had it before, I'm telling you that is not an, a good experience to have in your life. Amen? Amen? God has a way of attacking you in your secret parts. I know there are many of you under the sound of my voice right now. God's been attacking you in your secret parts for years. Oh, Lord, help me, Lord. Now, I'm not talking about where your mind just went. There's some places in your life that you've kept secret from everybody else and you make everybody think that everything's all right, but you're broke. You ain't got enough money to pay your car payment. You ain't got enough money to pay your light bill. You're struggling over this and there. People in your relationships are falling apart in front of you just like that. Everything that you touch in your life is going to hell in a handbasket and you're trying to put on a beautiful smile and tell everybody everything's all right, but God has been attacking you in your secret parts. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Mm, boy, I tell you what, the Lord's helping me today. Amen. Look at somebody say, I got to have his presence. So God has a way of attacking you in a place, in a secret place that nobody else even knows about. They carried it from one place to the other, one place to the other. And after a while, they got to the point that they said, you know what? The reason why we got all these problems is because we've been treating the glory of God the wrong way. And they went to their dividers and they went to their wise people. And they said, what are we going to do? And they said, send that ark back over there where it came from. So they went over there and they carried it over and they gave it to them. And for 20 years, the ark of the covenant never wound up back at the Mount Gibeah where they lost it from. So there was a the tabernacle going on. All the rituals, all the sacrifices, all the singing, all the prayer, all that stuff was going on in the church, but there was no glory in the church. Worship still went on. Every ritualistic activity went on in the church. Priests still went in and did whatever they did, but there was religion without relationship. Am I helping anybody this morning? The church today, and I'm going to tell you, I hope there's a many preachers that listen to me on my podcast, you listen to me online. The church today has a whole lot of religion, but they don't have no relationship when it comes to God. Amen. Worship is still going on at the altar. People are jumping up and down to music and all this stuff. Everybody's coming in, but there is no relationship. There has been no disruption in their house for years. You ever talk to anybody that didn't know that the glory of God left their church? 
I was talking to one this week. God just has a way of bringing things exactly where he needs to. I was talking to one this week, and she said, how was your church service Sunday? I said, oh, it was pretty good. I said, sometimes we're out by 1 o'clock. Sometimes we don't get home to 2.30. Sometimes it's 3 o'clock before we get home. She said, oh, my God. I said, I don't know if I could go to your church or not because the preacher shuts up at 12 o'clock at the church, and it don't matter if he calls an altar call or not. If we, we if it's 12 o'clock, we ain't singing no more song. He's just going to bow his head and say, well, I ain't finished. I'll finish it next week. She was bragging about how silent everything you ever talk to anybody like that? No glory in the house. Nothing has been disrupted for years. I want to share with you when the glory of God comes in the house, there's going to be a disruption. When the glory of God comes in, people will tear the roof off to drop down somebody that's sick. When the glory of God shows up and comes into the house, you're going to be disrupted. Some of you that runs here and tries to get a certain seat and try to get it in that place, you're going to be disrupted. Some of you ain't going to have a seat. Sometimes when the glory of God shows up, you're going to be laying prostrate just like Dagon was in front of the glory of God because you know God will share his glory with nobody else look at somebody right beside of you and say you got to disrupt some stuff well how do you disrupt some stuff everybody stay silent for five seconds hey you see how I just disrupted that silence the Bible says make a joy for noise. The Bible shares with you that if you want the Holy Ghost to show up in your life, sometimes you don't even have to say hallelujah. All you got to do is just make a joyful noise. You got to disrupt some stuff. You got to get out there and disrupt some stuff and make it happen. That's why I have y'all talk back to me while I'm preaching because when y'all get silent, I want God to come in and disrupt the silence because silence is not a thing. You can't measure it. You can't quantify it. It's just like darkness. It's not a thing. Silence is the absence of sound and darkness is the absence of light and God said if you'll make a joyful noise God will show up and the Holy Ghost will show up. I wonder how many of you here this morning can make a disruptive noise to the Lord and break the silence that's in your life. Come on now. Break a disruptive You ain't doing it. You're making a clapping. Make a disruptive noise. Somebody shout out and give God a war cry here this morning. Boy y'all ain't fired up yet. I'm going to have to throw the microphone at some of y'all. Am I going to have to go out there and light the pew on fire to get you moving? Noise disrupts silence. Make a joyful noise. He said, oh, clap your hands. All your people shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Some of y'all are fighting right now and you're looking in your life and you're losing that battle. And the reason why you're losing that battle is because you've allowed Satan to shut your mouth up. You see, the first thing that Satan wants to do in your life is to shut your mouth. I was over to see Tom and Thelma yesterday, and I was talking to them, and Tom blessed my heart. After everything he's went through, he looked at me, and he said, I'm going to have to trust and believe, and I've got to do it, and i got to speak, i got to say it. I want you to know right now that God is looking for somebody that is tired of the silence and tired of the darkness that will stand up and disrupt it and make a joyful noise and clap their hands. Somebody in this house this morning, make a disruptful noise unto the Lord this morning. So the first thing Satan wants to do is shut your mouth. Noise disrupts your silence. I want you to know that God is looking for you in 2021 to disrupt the silence that's been over your life. Amen. And until you disrupt the silence that's over your life, you're going to be in defeat. I just gave you the answer to all your problems. Amen. Anybody ever felt real bad? And you just go, oh, and feel better after you do that? Yeah. Oh my God, everybody's smiling. Everybody's had it. I've had it before. I just feel bad. And I was like, oh. 
Makes me feel better. Releases the stress. 20 years now, the Ark of the Covenant has not been in the house of God. None of the judges went after the glory. King Saul, made king by God, anointed by Samuel, never went after the glory. Samuel, the prophet of God, never went after the glory. They wanted the position, but not the presence. And you know what happened, church? God got sick of it. God told me this week, he said, I am sick of my church. Mm. Some of us think just because everything's going along pretty good and judgment hadn't come that everything's all right. But my God said for me to come and warn every one of you, just because judgment ain't come don't mean it ain't on the way. He said, I've been out looking for some people that has the heart of David, that has the same heart of David that is after my heart. I want you to look at that, that, that picture of the tabernacle of Moses. If you'll notice, the holy place, the holy place, the most holy place is right in the center of the Ark of the Covenant. All of the ritual, all the sacrifices, everything that went on there in that ark, uh, that tabernacle was because of the Ark of the Covenant. It was the heart of the tabernacle. And God said when Israel was separated from one another, when all hell was breaking loose, when the Ark was taken away, when Eli fell off of the throne and the headship of Israel was dead, when, when the people that took care of the ark was killed when 30,000 were killed and defeated. He said one of the reasons why is because there was nobody in Israel after my heart. You see the ark of the covenant was God's heart. Y'all with me this morning, amen? amen? Nobody was after it. Nobody felt the need to take the challenge to go and try to get through the Jebusites to get to where the Ark of the Covenant was and bring it back to the power of God. But God said, I've been searching around and I found me a man that's after my heart. And he went and he found David. And David said that he would be after his heart. And God said for me to ask you today, can he, can he, Thank you, Lord. Can he count on you to be the one after his heart? Can he count on you to not be after his possessions and after his promises, but to be after his presence? Can he count on you to do that? You see, I've watched some of y'all, and I'm going to help some of y'all here this morning. I've seen some of you go through some situations in your life, and all of a sudden you get aggressive, and you get aggressive, and you start going after the Lord, and you start talking about the Lord, and you do so for about three or four weeks, and then I don't see you for five or six months. You said the reason why you're that way is because you're after the hand of God, not the promise of God, and you're not after His presence. You see, when you can get aggressive for a little while and lose it, then you're not after the heart of God because when you got a task before you to go after the presence of the Lord, you're going to have obstacles and you're going to have problems. Amen? Amen. I watch some of y'all when worship is going on and you're sitting there just like this. Some of y'all right now wish to God I'd shut up. You know the reason why you act the way you act that you do here in worship service? Because when God comes into the worship service, He comes with His heart, and His heart is in love with you. And I don't want to tell you, it is the most uncomfortable thing in life to be in a room with somebody that loves you way more than you love them. 
Am I talking to anybody this morning? Worship demands that you bring your heart to God and that you show Him that you love Him just as much as He loves you. There's nothing more uncomfortable than to have somebody standing right in front of you wanting to communicate with you because they love you and you don't love them. And many of us has lived in marriages that way. Some of us for 20 years, just like these Israelites did, where 20 years nobody had went to go get the glory of God. You're related to me. You're my son. If I don't hear from you pretty soon, I'm going to make a welfare check to make sure Trevor's all right. If I text him and he don't respond... I call him and he don't respond. If I try to communicate with him and he don't respond, after two or three days, I'm going to file a missing person report. I'm going to pick up the telephone. I'm going to call the sheriff's department like I did with one yesterday and say, I want you to go do a welfare check. I just want to make sure they're okay. I want you to know that I cannot imagine, imagine in my life, ever, ever in life, communicate with them. If you don't hear from your child, you need to be running them down to hear from them. Amen. I cannot imagine how it is that you can have family members and never talk to them. I got a little chat line I've set up this week with all of my brothers and my sisters and I started texting them and I said, you know what? I didn't see any of y'all at Christmas. I didn't see y'all at Thanksgiving. I ain't heard from some of y'all in months and I want to know, are you ready to divorce me or not? God here this morning is related to you. He's related to you and he wants to hear from you. And when he don't hear from you, he's going to put out a missing person report with somebody that is after his heart. That's why you're sitting here today because God has put in my heart to go grab a hold of some of y'all because some of you ain't talked to God in years. Oh my God, I'm preaching this morning. Amen. Amen. So none of the judges went after it. But David wound up being after his heart. I've seen so many, Betty, get aggressive for four or five weeks, two or three years, and then all of a sudden they, they get what they want and then they don't come back. 20 years now, nobody has went after them. 20 years now, they ain't missed God one bit. 20 years now, never have they even crossed, crossed their mind that they needed God. I get concerned when I don't hear from that boy over there. He might not think so, but I get concerned. There's been times I didn't hear from him. I just rode by his house. I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of me showing up to go see him. He's supposed to come see me. I just rode by his house to make sure that everything was all right, that the house wasn't burnt down, that his car was in the yard, that something was going on because it was days that I hadn't heard anything from him. I want to hear from somebody. How many would love to be married to somebody and never hear from them? Tuning is mad with me when I she'll send me four or five texts all in a row, and, and my phone brings up the last text, and I'll read the last text because I'm busy, and I'll miss the other four, and she'll say, "Why didn't you respond to them?" Because she wants me to respond to her. When she responds to me, she wants me to respond to her. Are you going to keep right on texting somebody that don't ever respond? 
What happens after a while? You say, well, Susan won't never get me back. Susan won't never get back. Susan don't love me enough to show up on Sunday to see me where she knows I'm going to be and I ain't going to worry about her anymore. I'll take her out of my phone and she can go and do whatever she wants to do. Oh, Lord, I just preached a bunch of y'all sitting to the house and wanting to know where's Kim. I ain't running where you at because you know where I am and if you love me enough, you'll be here. If you were related to me like you say you are, you'll be communicating with me. What's the problem? We look at this and say 20 years now, 20 years, nobody has went after the presence of God. The prophets ain't went after the presence of God. The judges ain't went after the presence of God. Nobody's went after the presence of God. And we look at that, we look down on it, but let me share something with you. I've been in church 50 years, and I ain't seen nobody in the church go after the presence of God. Because he ain't here no more. In theory, he is. If two or three gather together in his name, he said he's there in the midst. But he's so locked up in the corner and so bound up that he can't move because you got so many Jebusites in your life taking over your territory. You guys here with his heart full of love for you and you don't love him enough to worship him and even lift up your hands and praise the Lord and sing a song. But yeah, you want him to show up in your life? Order call given, and you sit back there and say, I ain't going to the altar. I ain't that preacher preached for two hours and didn't touch my heart at all. I don't understand some of y'all that are that are related to God but can't talk to God. Mm. Everybody say amen like you mean it. Amen. How in the world can you be gone from somebody for 20 years and not be looking for them? How in the world can you have a brother and a sister for 20 years and never know nothing about them? Mm. How could God be gone for your life, from your life, for 20 years and you not go after him and wonder why? Oh, it's quiet in here this morning. I must have hit on something. Why is it? How could he be gone so long and you never pick your Bible up and read it? Why is it that you aren't concerned that God ain't moving in your life like he used to be? Why is it that God has anointed you a king? God has anointed you as a priest and he's put his heart on you and loves you in his heart but you are not interested in hunting him down finding out where he's at. How in the world could Saul be anointed king and not wonder and want the glory of God, not seek the heart of God? He wouldn't seek the heart of God, so God said, I'll find me somebody that will. I'll find me somebody that prioritizes me. I'll find somebody that brings his priority in line with my heart. I'll find somebody that literally values me, that gives me some value and some honor in his life. I'll guess, I'll find somebody that's not satisfied with the position he's got to have the presence. He says, I found a man who's after my heart. He was after the glory and the presence of the Lord. I want you to look at your neighbor this morning and say, are you after his heart? God said, because you're after my heart, David, because you want to get in my presence, I'm going to promote you. I'm going to make you king. 
I'm going to pull you out of the sheep dung, shoveling sheep dung, and I'm going to put you on the strongest and most powerful throne that there is in Israel. I'm going to give you all the wealth of Israel. I'm going to give you all the power where you can command service to go wherever they want to go. Whatever you say will happen because you are king. I will pull you out of the lowest part in your life and put you in the highest position you can be because you are literally going after my heart. And in our text today, we are watching David as he goes after God's heart. He was now both king of Judah, king of Israel. He had been anointed three times. Uh, Samuel had anointed him. He was a, a little shepherd boy, rejected by his daddy. His daddy didn't even like him. In fact, there's a little rumor out there that said that he wasn't just his boy to begin with. He was ostracized from the family. Could it be that that's the reason why he fell down and he cried so bad over Bathsheba's baby? Because that rumor was out there that he wasn't just his he was treated like he didn't belong. He had been anointed three times. And now Israel and Judah were separated. They were separated from each other. You see, without the glory of God, things start falling apart. Without the glory of God, the church starts falling apart. Without the glory of God, your family starts falling apart. They'll start falling to the wayside and you'll bury them. The preacher's preaching this morning. I need you to hear me. Without the glory of God, your marriage will fall apart. Without the glory of God, all your relationships will fall apart. Your finances will fall apart. David was anointed king of Judah six years later. He was anointed the king of Israel. And now he comes back and he drives the Jebusites out and he takes 30,000 men. And he says, now it's time to go back and get the glory. Look at somebody say, I'm going to get the glory. He said, I'm going after God's heart. I'm going to go chase it down. He said, I'm going to get it. I'm going after it. I'm going to move every stronghold, every obstacle, everything that's in my way. I'm going to tear down every idol. I'm going to get rid of all the Jebusites. I'm going to cross over every little river. I'm going to cross over every little rock. I'm going to climb every mountain. I'm going to go through every little valley. I'm going to do what I got to do because I know I can't live another day without the glory of God in my life. And I refuse to live another day without the glory of God in my life. I'll give up everything I got. I'll give $100 billion, which he did, for the power of Almighty God to have a place in his life. Some of us need to dedicate. 100% to God and get serious about it because God said without me everything in your life will fall apart am I talking to anybody this morning I don't know about you but in 2021 I'm going to bring back the glory of God I don't know about you, but in 2021, I'm going to cross over any obstacle I can to get God's glory back in my life. I'm going to cross over any mountain that I can to get God's glory back in my life. I'm going to fight the Jebusites just as hard as I can fight them, and I'm going to overtake them, and I'm going to get the glory of God back in my life. The ark of God is going to come back in my life somehow or another. I might make a mistake, but I'm going to get the glory back. I might make some more, some bad mistake, but God said, yeah, He will honor my heart, and God said in 2021, living what a worship center will have the glory of God back in this house and I'm going to be the one to go get it and I want to know are you ready to go get it yourself because I'm tired of things in my life falling apart, falling off and getting disrupted and getting messed up I'm ready for the glory of God to show up in this house look at someone say I got to chase it down so he gets there and the ark is brought to him on a cart and David said oh that'll work so he takes a high and another one and puts them there at the ark and they start going and they're going pretty good. You see, David was a baby when the ark of the covenant was lost. The glory was gone. He didn't know the protocol. He didn't know what was supposed to be done. That cart 
was never to be in the picture. The ark was not to be covered or carried by nobody but a priest. But they put it on this here cart, and it's going pretty good. It's working pretty good. They're moving along pretty good. You see, you can be doing things that are right in your life, and although it's secular, it can still be working pretty good. But you've got to be careful about going for the right thing the wrong way. It's not enough just to go for the right thing. You've got to do it the right way. Right. Am I talking to anybody this morning? It's secular, and it's working pretty good. But all of a sudden, Susan, the ox trips. And when the ox trips, the ark of the covenant starts to slide off the cart. And when it starts to slide off the cart, Uzzah puts his hand up there to save the ark. And God didn't need Uzzah to save him. Uzzah needed God to save him. And when he did, he touched the ark and immediately he was killed. The ox trip. You can be out there working in your life and it can be secular. You can have God out of your life and you can say to yourself, I don't need the glory of God. And you can go for a little while and it will work pretty good for a little while. But the ox is going to trip. Y'all with me now? Some of y'all, your whole life is tripping right now. Smile at me over here if that's happening to you. Oh, I see it. Your whole life is just tripping. Wake up in the morning and this one trips out and that one flips out and this ox falls and that one over there falls and you say, Lord, I don't know how much more I can take. I come and tell, Lord, I don't know everything I do. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to do it right. God said you're doing it the wrong way. When you pray, you're praying and asking the miss. You're doing it the wrong way. I don't know how many of you here has got your life and see you're living in a tripping place but your entire life is tripping up right now and it's right in front of your face and in just a few minutes it was good here probably two months ago it was good three months ago but something happened in one minute it seemed like your whole life turned upside down let me tell you what happened the ox tripped you're in a tripping place everything's gone crazy two years ago you had plenty of money in the bank now you ain't got none Two years ago, you could speak to your wife, and now you can't even talk to her. She is so vengeful against you that you can't even get through in your life. Your husband used to love you, teach a lot, take a lot of it, and now he don't even want him to talk to you. Everything's turned upside down. Am I talking to anybody? Now, everything in your life is disrupted, and we still don't hear God talking to us. Oh, help me, Lord. Amen. Amen. David. Is trying to do what's right. He's trying to reconcile Judah back to Israel. He's trying to reconcile God's presence back to the tabernacle. He's trying to reconcile the anointing of God back. He's trying to bring the ark back to Zion. He's doing everything he can to reconcile and bring things together. And I want to ask you a question. Even when you're in a tripping place, if you're doing it wrong, God is signaling to you and saying you need to, to find out how to do it the right way. But David is trying to do what he can do, and his heart's in the right place, but he's doing it the wrong way. And now he's out there. He's called to reconcile Israel and Judah back together. He's called to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Zion. He's called to move forward and to do what God wants to do and find a place for the house and the presence of God to dwell in and reconcile it. Do you think that the devil is going to sit back there and watch that boy reconcile all of that and not fight him? When you set out to do what God wants you to do, you better get ready. It's a fight. Amen. 
That's why we're studying spiritual warfare right now. It's a fight. Look at somebody say it's a fight. Now, how many has ever been in a fight? I was talking to Mitchell Ransom yesterday, and I said, you know, I got seven, six brothers and one sister. And I called Benny my brother. He's my first cousin. I said, but the only one I've ever fought with was Sidney. I said, let me tell you something. Sidney's smaller than I am. He's wired than I am, and he's more annoying than I am. And let me tell you something, other. I said, don't you doubt for one minute that that little wiry individual that only weighs about 120 pounds, don't you doubt one minute that he ain't got some power on the inside of him. Because he beat me to a bloody pulp. He hit me so hard, John, I came off the ground like that. It was a fight. I thought it was. I got in a fight with him because he cussed at mama. And I'm going to tell you what. I found out something about myself. I gave up in the fight. I said, all right, you win. I didn't want him not to cuss mama bad enough to keep on fighting. I gave up. A fight shows what you made of. A fight shows how bad you want something. A fight shows that the, the enemy literally has got to be told, come hell or high water, I want what I'm fighting for. Look at somebody say, I want it back. Oh, y'all got to say it like you mean it. Say, devil, I want it back. You see, when you say that, their demons began to tremble. Witches began to pace the floor. Oh, hell is just all in an uproar. Because if you really truly want it back, you'll fight for what you want. And you'll fight to your last dying breath to have it. And David was like that. He said, I'm going to have the power of Almighty God. Some folks are afraid to want for something. Amen. You know why? Because wanting for something is painful. When you want a man to love you and he don't love you, it's painful. Amen. Wanting hurts. Wanting is uncomfortable. Wanting is disruptive. So what we wind up doing is we anesthetize the pain and we start going about in apathy. And you'll say, well, I don't really care anyhow. I was talking to anybody this morning. I've been by myself all my life. My siblings didn't even like me, so if he don't want to be with me, that's fine. I don't care. Oh, am I talking to anybody? Am I at your dinette this morning? <laughs> I don't care. I don't need you. I don't care. Just do whatever you want to do. But let me share something with you, church. Trouble comes to prove to you that you care. The only reason why you argue with somebody is because you care about them. If I didn't care about Tina, she got her to do whatever she wanted to do. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't grumble. I wouldn't argue. But I care about her. She grumbles. She must care about me a whole lot sometimes. <laughs> She'll get me on the way home on that, by the way. She don't grumble that much, but she lets me know when she ain't happy. She told me the other day, she said, you got to lose some weight. You got to quit drinking all them Mountain Dews. I bought you all these clothes and you can't wear none of them now. Now I'm having to buy clothes two sizes bigger than what they, I should be. And you're, You ain't overweight, but it's all in the wrong place. You look like you swallowed a watermelon. <laughs> Problems come because you care about it. Trouble comes. The ox trips in your life. And when it happens, God is saying, do you really care about this? 
the ox trip, the ark slides, Uzzah touches it. All around there is killed. Uzzah tried to save God. And all of a sudden, because things got hard, David, who was after God's heart, threw up his hands and said, I'm done. Can't do it. You see, that's what happened in this church. Oh, Lord, am I talking to anybody? I'm, I'm taking a little bit of time to minister this morning. God called you to this church. God put you in a position that got a little bit hard, and you threw up your hands, and you said, that's it, I quit. So you took and you reassigned your responsibility to somebody else just like David did. David reassigned his responsibility to other leader. He said, I'm not going to take care of the, car, the, the ark. Although I'm called to do so, although I'm called to bring the glory back, I'm going to let Obed-Edom take care of that there. And God said, you know what, David? You can't stop me from being who I am. So if you won't let me bless you, then I'm going to bless him. Some of y'all right now have let other people walk around with your blessing in their life. Amen. What are you talking about? The Bible says I'll give you houses that you did not build. I'll give you vineyards that you did not grow in. Some of us sometimes in life God will give you the very blessing that was somebody else because they reassigned the responsibility that they had in their life. But let me share something other with you. You cannot reassign your responsibility when God calls you to do something other. And God called this church to usher in the glory of Almighty God and to change the way people worship God, change the way people hear the word of God, and change the way we conduct ministry in this church. It is not about going to the tent of meeting. It's about coming to the tent of meeting and getting equipped to go out and change the world, world and war against the strongholds in our life. And after three months, David kept hearing reports. King, did you hear what happened to Obed Edom? What? He's bought four houses. Huh? How'd he do that there? He ain't got no money. King, did you hear about Obed Edom? Hmm? Yeah, his daughter married the king of so-and-so, and now she's the richest woman in the world. Huh? King. Did, did, did you hear about Obed Edom? He's bought a Lamborghini. How much was it? A $300,000 car. And I'm driving around in a Pinto. <laughs> King, did, did you hear that Obed Edom now has 25 grandchildren and all of a sudden within just a few little bit of time? God just blessed his family. Did you understand that all of a sudden somebody just walked up to him and gave him a warehouse, gave him land, just handed it to him and said, King Obed-Edom is getting blessed and he's getting blessed because the Ark of the Covenant is there. And after a while, old David said, you know what? I'm sick of this. I want what is my blessing and I want it back. He said, enough is enough. I want it back. Look at somebody say enough's enough. I am sick and tired of, of, of life. What, what, what is that life? What is that new life of y'all being blessed when living water is supposed to be the one that's blessed? I'm sick and tired of Bethel down y'all being blessed when we're the one that's supposed to be the gatekeeper in this town. Is anybody hearing me this morning? I am sick and tired of somebody else driving around in my Cadillac when that's my brand new Cadillac. I want what God's got for me and I'm like the other I want it now. What's the, who is that there? J.G.J. Worth? It's my money and I want my money now. Enough's enough. 
I'm sick of it. I want what is mine, and I want it back. Yeah, I lost it. I gave up on it. I reassigned it to somebody else, and God blessed them, and God done it just to show me that you cannot change who God is. God said, I am that I am. I will bless you if you get the glory of God in my life, and since you sent the glory somewhere else, I'll bless them just to show you that I ain't going to change because you got an attitude. Boy, I'm preaching this morning whether y'all like it or not. Look at somebody say enough's enough. enough. Do you really believe that? Do you really want it back? Yes. John, I remember coming into this church. People would walk in this church and they'd be clapping when they're coming down the aisle. I remember coming to this church, didn't even have to give an altar call, did it? They were sitting here in the altar while, while the music was playing. I remember walking in this church, looking up, and all of a sudden, every pew empty and find out nobody in here and the music going on. I said, what's going on? They said, now y'all are walking around the chalk property and they're praising and they're giving the power of Almighty God. I remember that people were drugs and alcohol, and alcoholics in their life. They come in here and they'd run to the altar and they'd sit there and they'd shake under the power of Almighty God. But we literally got to the point to where the battle got a little bit hard and we threw up our hands and we said we're going to reassign our responsibility to somebody else and now God is blessing them when he said now if you want the blessing that I promised to you get up and say enough is enough I'm going back to get the ark I got one that's there this morning look at somebody say enough is enough I'm almost done God blessed Obed Edom Regardless, showing him, showing him that he will bless whoever. There's some of you under the sound of my voice right now. God wanted to bless you. You should never have been in the situation that you're in right now. Amen. Sir, step that piano and play me a little something. You should have never lost what you lost. You should have never walked away from what was yours. You should have never gave him or her what they wanted because that was your blessing. And God said for me to come ask you this morning, are you sick of it? Are you really truly sick of it? Are you sick of not having your peace? Are you sick of not having your joy? Are you sick of not having your own wisdom? Are you sick of not having your own wealth? Is today enough is enough in your life? Do you really want back what God blessed you with before? Do you want to be able to flip that checkbook open? And see six figures like you used to. Instead of sitting there having to beg somebody to give you enough money to buy food. Do you really want it back? So David went to the house of Obed-Edom. And he began to knock. Now, if you come to my house, you ain't got to knock. The minute you pull up into the drive, the dogs will let me know you're there. And they won't shut up until I put them on the outside and let you in. You see, knocking is a disruption. 
I might be in the bathtub when you show up, but I don't know you're there because the dogs go crazy. And I have to get up and change what I'm doing to go and open the door to let you in. Knock. And it shall be opened unto you. God wants to know this morning, are you ready to disrupt some stuff? If you want the glory back, you got to start disrupting some stuff. Whatever it takes, you got to go and get the glory back. Look at somebody and say, whatever it takes. If it takes you being in church at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, 6 o'clock on Sunday night, 7 o'clock on Wednesday, 7 o'clock on Friday. If you need a promotion in your life, then you need to get in the presence of the Lord. And you need to be able to tell your boss, man, your boss woman, whatever it takes. You're not my blesser. God is my blesser. And I'm going to get where I need to be because the glory of God promotes me. You see, when you disrupt something, you literally interrupt by causing things to be disturbed. You cause a problem when you disrupt stuff. You drastically alter what is going on at the time that you show up and make a disruption. You destroy the structure that is going on and you cause radical change to happen the minute you begin to disrupt stuff. When you show up at my house, I might not have my clothes on. And before I open the door, I got to run go find my pants. I got to run go find my shirt. I got to run if I'm sitting there in house clothes. I got to find my robe. Tom, yesterday when I showed up at his house, didn't even give me the chance to knock on the door. Because Thelma was on the phone looking out the window when she saw me walk by. And she said, Kip's outside. I didn't know that. But Tom come running to the door. By the time I got to the door, couldn't even ring the bell. He got to say, come on in. She said, sometimes you ain't got to knock. You just got to show up. I disrupted stuff. She was on the telephone. She might have talked for five hours. After a while, she got off the phone and she walked in and she spoke with us. I disrupted stuff. Things were changed. God said he is calling you in 2021 to disrupt some stuff in your life. He said, I am calling you to be a raider of the lost ark. Because in living water worship center, we have lost the presence and the power of God. Are y'all hearing me this morning? I said, Lord, that's a movie. He said, yeah, and before you preach this message, you watch that movie. I want you to see something. So I did. The word raider literally means a person that attacks an enemy in the enemy's territory. That goes in and roams around and searches things that has been stolen from him to get it back. I'm a raider of the lost ark. And God is calling you Christina. He is calling you Katrina. He's calling you Ben. He's calling Tina. He's calling all of us. He's calling every one of us to be a raider of the lost ark, to go into the territory that has come in and taken our territory away from us and set up a stronghold and get it to the point to where we can usher the power and the glory and the presence of God back in this life. Are you here with me today? 
Look at somebody and say, I said enough is enough. I want it back. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the way church is being done. I want to see the power of God. I'm sick of every Friday night that 12 ounce can of beer is calling me. I'm sick of every day that pill hollering out to me. I'm sick of going to church and people looking at me and saying, look at that drug addict pulling over that stuff over the people out there in the church. You ain't pulling it over nobody's eyes. I see it. Everything in your life is falling apart. Your family has fell apart. Your relationships has fallen apart. Your finances has fell apart. When are you going to get sick of it? When are you going to say enough? is enough I'm going to get it back it's not just enough to want it back Susan you got to be willing to go fight the enemy in his territory to get it back smile at somebody and say I'm going to get it back every head is bowed and every eyes closed if God talked to you this morning and ministered to you in your life I just want you to slip your hand up so your preacher can see that yes I see those hands Yes, I see those hands. My next question to you is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to leave here the same way you came with the Jebusites overtaking your territory? Are you going to go about the right thing the wrong way? Are you going to reassign your blessing and your responsibility to somebody else and let them walk in your blessing? Or do you want that blessing hard enough and bad enough that you are going to do what's necessary to get it back. If you know that promotion is given through the presence of God, are you going to say, whatever it takes, I'm going to do whatever i got to do to get into the presence of God? Father, in the name of Jesus, I have delivered this message the way you asked me to deliver it. Every hand in this house raised up when I ask them if I've ministered to situations in their life. God, I can't beg them to make it right with you. God, I can't make them in any way, shape, or form run to the altar and scream out to you. I can't make them, Lord God, to look at who's being blessed in their blessing and desire to have what God has given them back. I can't do that. So today, Lord God, I'm not going to ask them to this altar. I'm sending them on their way with this thought in their mind. Is enough enough? Is things falling apart in my life enough to wake me up? Is this one dying, that one dying, that being taken away, this I'm losing over here? Is that enough? Am I tired of it enough? Is sitting on my couch at the house on Sunday watching CNN or Fox News or Highway to Hell or Dynasty. Is that the better way? Is that what makes me comfortable? Or am I in my life had enough and enough is enough? I lay it in their heart. I release the Holy Spirit to minister to each heart that has heard me. I trust you and believe, Lord God, that I'm going to see a change in each person's heart. That they're going to go after your heart. 
they're going to seek you, Lord. They're going to have the courage to fix the problem instead of worshiping in the problem. God, today, we uplift the family of Tom and Lib, Robin's family that lost a member this week. We uplift Tom and Thelma's family that is fighting and struggling through this health issue physically. Father, we ask you, Lord, that you touch Susan in her foot today, that you'll minister to Grandma today. Father, that you'll move in that shipman family from top to bottom, that you'll grab a hold of the Grandma, that you'll grab hold of the matriarch, that you'll grab hold of the youngest one in that family, and you'll turn them completely around. That somebody in that family will say, enough is enough. I'm sick of all this. I'm going to quit trying to create a different system. I'm going to get on God's system and I'm going to get the glory back of God in my life. God, I pray for the intercessors under the sound of my voice that has been praying for God to do something in this church. God, don't let them in their hour of struggle, in their hour of tough issues, throw their hands up and say, well, nothing's happening. Lord, do not let them reassign their responsibility to somebody else so that they'll walk in their blessing instead of the one you called them to do. Father, let them pray harder than they've ever prayed before. Father, develop on the inside of us the attitude that enough is enough. I'm sick of somebody else getting my blessing. I'm going after the glory of God and I will not stop till I get it back. Develop that in the hearts and souls and minds of your people that hears me online, on Facebook, on my podcast, on the hundred places that it's put to immediately when I hit the button. Father, to the ones that have been talking to us from Argentina, Lord God, and starting that church. Father, I pray right now that the glory from this house begin to transfer to them that that minister began to, to speak to them and through the same principle and bring your glory back to South America. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we uplift this assembly. We know, Lord God, that you called us and you gave us a desire to move and power, have the power of God and the glory of God in our life. And God, right now in the name of Jesus, we confess to you that we, like David, has reassigned it. We ask you for forgiveness. And Father, we pray that in 2021, you would create such a desire in our life to get our lives straightened back out, to get things put back together, that our nation will come back together, our family will come back together, our church will come back together, our finances will come back together our health will come back together and God will go out to your glory have your way burn this word in the hearts of the people that hear me today for each one that misses one service Father turn up the power turn up the flame burn out what hell is trying to do Create a desire on the inside of their heart to be in your presence because it is in your presence, Lord, that they're going to be promoted. I believe, Lord, there are people that are having surgeries that should have never had the surgery if they'd have stayed in your presence. I come against the Jebusites in that territory. I tear down that stronghold in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for a new attitude. I thank you, Lord, for a new desire. We're going after your glory. We're going to get it back. In Jesus' name. Amen. And let the church say amen.
Stand with me to your feet. Look at your neighbor and say, enough is enough. I'm getting it back. Mm -hmm. How many believe that? Did you want to do it? Give God a good hand clap this morning.